Good morning, and welcome to Sunday Story Hour, where we share real-life stories of how human design has helped our guests know themselves on a deep, transformative level. By knowing and trusting ourselves, we develop deeper, more honest relationships and unlock our true gifts. I'm Kathy Bashanko, and my guest this week is Kevin McCarthy. Kevin's a 3-6 splenic projector, right angle cross of the Sphinx, and... I'm really excited to have Kevin here. I've known Kevin for a few years through the online communities and stuff, and we actually got to meet a little over a year ago, right? In um, Colorado, when I was there one time, we met up. And so I'm happy happy to have you here, and I'd love for you to just say hi and then go right into telling people a little bit about your human design story and how you came to have all this wisdom. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so being a splenic projector, it's something I got to kind of access and, and remember this <laughs> not in the moment. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that, uh, is a very interesting, uh, memory for me because it's as, as much as I've spent most of my life just delving into things and being interested and in obsessing and, and digesting them completely and then moving on to the next thing, like a three, six would, even before I knew what a three, six was, um, human design stood out to me more than anything else, because not only was it uh, so comprehensive that kind of was impossible to understand completely at any given point for me, um, but it it really kind of evoked a sense of of mystery and intrigue. And when I first learned about it, it was pretty impossible for me to understand. I, I just like, well, this is this is I can't do it. <laughs> I need to I need to focus on other things, and maybe I'll circle around and come back again. And through the help of uh, folks online and, you know, through chat rooms and Discord. Discord is where I discovered it first, was to, through a uh, an online community for Tarot and, and Astrology. Um, and just happened to get mentioned by someone that this was passing through, so to speak. And uh, needless to say, I had tons of questions for them, and and I probably uh, exhausted them a bit with some of their energy when I asked them questions. But um, that was kind of how I, I learned the most was just, exploring and, and seeing how things could be understood in the, in the framework that was you know created by by uh, Ra and and the whole human design group um but then every time something would stand out like I, I want to know what this is but I have no idea what it means I would just go find you know either a resource or if I didn't have a resource I'd ask someone and just just ask my friends ask my acquaintances ask people in in chats that are specific for human design and it just just accumulated the knowledge over time um, and it got to a point where I, I, at that point I was working as, you know, professional astrologer and tarot reader and I'm like, well, maybe I can put this in my tool belt and use this to help my clients and, and maybe they're, they'll be interested. And sometimes even, even if they didn't, uh, buy a session, so to speak, um, I would still mention things sometimes here or there, like about their authority or their energy and get a feel intuitively of how how they would respond to it or if they were interested or not. Nine times out of 10, they just kept focusing on what we were there for, which was looking at the cards or, or talking about their signs, you know. Um, but every once in a while, someone, it's just kind of like a, a flower opening up or the sun rising over the horizon. They they, they had that interest of, what what is human design? I'm, I'm intrigued. And um, I'd show them their chart and then you'd see the, the eyes kind of gloss over. <laughs> it's like you're looking at, I'm like, oh, okay, that's totally understandable. Let me, I'm like, let me, let me show you the basics of of what we're looking at here. And the the thing is, uh, as much as we can dump information into people and, and, and in front of them, um, I've always felt that context and relevance has 
not only been key to how I learned, but how I can share with others as well. And that might just be because of the common denominator of my presence in that. But um, that's how I've operated from the get-go, not just for myself, but for others that want to learn. And so when I came across the, the Human Design and Astrology Group, which was one of my biggest um, benefits of, of learning and, and sharing, um, it, it was really great because there's so, so many people trying to learn different things at different times. And so as much as we always try to learn everything all the time, I, I came to the understanding that I can't do that. At least I, for myself, I can't. I'm not, I'm not receptive. I'm not right-angled, right? I can't just absorb and then and then access. No, I'm, I'm focused. I'm quad left. So uh, I, I pick a detail and, and learn the heck out of it and then try to understand it and then move on to the next. And just to clarify for people who don't know what you mean by um, right versus left, on um, most advanced charts, including the one you can get from my website, kathybashanko.com, there are four four arrows and they either point right or left. And so one extreme is quad right and the other extreme is quad left. And then there are people that are some combination like I have mine both point um, inward. No, outward. Yeah. Outward. Yeah. Mine both point outward. Jeez. Gently left. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, it can be any combination. So yeah. there's six different uh, types, as they say, and there's a lot of great resources and context. Some of them recorded by Ra and uh, to give it kind of a, an idea of what just what the, could that mean, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And that's um, that gets back to the point of you where you're saying in the beginning work can be really overwhelming. And and I've had quite a few people tell me, oh, it's just too much. It's just too much. And um, so what what because people think sometimes that they have to learn it all, because eventually most of us that really not all of us, but most of us who get really into it, keep learning more and more and more. So if you've been practicing your experiment for a long time, um, you wind up knowing a lot of the layers. But when you first started, did you go right into to the deep end or did you? No, I tried to I tried to keep it simple, I guess you could say. The, first, I learned what, what what are the centers? What do they mean? You know, how they are and what does it mean to be defined versus undefined in a center? Um, I, I really had a hard time understanding the gates themselves. There's 64 mm -hmm. of them, right? It's, it's, right. It's, Hard to near impossible in the very beginning to to know what the context of each are, um, but I did focus on the primary gates, the, those gates that are part of our incarnation cross the sun and the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, that stood out to me. I'm like, okay, I can grasp the concept of four four gates, what they mean together, <laughs> what it means to be the cross of the Sphinx, you know. Um, and I kind of kind of snowballed from there. I, I as I talked to other people and, and learned what their crosses were and what their focus energy was. Um, I, I would just expand my understanding and awareness. And it did take a lot of time, obviously. It's, it's been about five years, I'd say, approximately five years for me. Mm -hmm. um, a, a common saying in the human design community is it takes about seven years to really fully do that experiment. Part, partly because of be, the base of the, the cellular life of your whole body being seven years, you know, your, your body replenishes itself in that time. And in, in that time, you can... Uh, I guess you can get, say kind of shed the old conditioned way versus the the new aware way. And as much as I'd like to pin that exact time down for most people, I think it really varies on everyone's lives and experiences well, and abilities. When Ra said all that, um, we didn't have a lot of the science that we have now, so I don't know what was true, but there are certain parts of our body that replenish sooner and certain parts that don't ever replenish, right? And um, so, but the seven years, I can tell you, because it's been 
over seven years now since I was first introduced to human design. Um, whether you can, I never know when to consider my, some people say your um, reading is when your experiment started, but I, I don't know that I can say that that's true because I sometimes think my purest part of the experiment was before my reading when I didn't really believe any of it. And I just held it kind of loosely over here. Like, okay, I'm this projector. I'm supposed to wait till I'm recognized and invited. Um, but I don't know if I believe any of that. And so then every time I didn't wait until I was recognized and invited and I started trying to push things on to, because I thought they were super important or whatever, and they didn't work out, I could go back and go, well, yeah, you didn't, you know, you weren't recognized there. Those people didn't see you. So, um, so I do think that there is definitely value in that part of my experiment. So to say that that part doesn't count. So when do you consider that you started your experiment? When you first, are you talking when you first found human design or? I would say, I would say when it was, when I finally tried to have a conscious grasp of my authority and strategy of how I needed to operate as a projector, like you said, waiting for that invitation and recognition, knowing what that meant. And, you know, you, you can get to a point where you're like, well, is everything a potential invitation or are there things where it can just, you can just operate like a normal human being, you know? Um, but, and then the next level, somewhere between that and the, then learning that, well, there's invitation, but then are you, am I using my authority to properly respond to that and, and accept it or, or deny it? Uh, sometime between the initial part and then applying my authority to it, I'd like to think my experiment started. So I started actually applying it and, and acting in that, in that way. And so, not necessarily knowing it, but seeing how things how things happened afterwards. <laughs> Be like, okay, all right, I get it. <laughs> sort of. I'm so a little I'm stubborn. Curious, I'm curious how, because I mean, you had this, here you were, you were a professional astrologer, professional tarot reader, and um, now you find out you're splenic. And did was that a term that meant anything to you at that point? Was it completely new? I don't think there's any reference to that sort of stuff in other yeah. um, genres. What did? How did that knowledge of having the splenic intuition help or hinder or work with your tarot? In, you know, reading and the whole intuitive aspect of that was that complementary? Did it fight a little bit, or what do you think? So initially it was very alien to me. I'm like, what, what the heck does that mean? You know, aren't, aren't I always trying to be present and, and in, the, in the moment? And then uh, it was emphasized that, well, that just means that the truth for you, which is a subjective thing, is in the moment. It's it's what's going on at any given point in that moment. And that's how the spleen works. It works off the instinct, works off that the evolutionary legacy that we have genetically um, to just be able to respond in the moment and have it be the best potential result. And so I kind of wrapped that around in my mind as I continue doing what I do. And I started to see, yeah, okay, as I go into these sessions, the more I think ahead, the more I try to plan, the more energy I burn even before I get into it. And I, I needed to conserve myself and just not try to overthink it or, or prepare too much. You know, maybe plant a seed here or there, like what the expectation might be or what a topic could be, you know, with, with context from the client. Um, but the moment I started doing the reading and started talking, it just kind of unfolded naturally and it was it was much less effort than when I tried to plan or structure it. And uh, something I've learned personally is I do benefit from structuring and, and planning and being practical. It's like the 
the open side of my charts that <laughs> kind of uh, helps balance me. And I find that a lot. And my wife, actually, she she's a, a Virgo and a 1-3, so she definitely hammers that down for me. But um, but just going with the flow and responding to questions is kind of how I shine. And it, it ties into my my cross and my conscious sun gate of 13 of the listener, and the and parts which is part of the storyteller. So I listen and, and sense and get patterns, and then intuitively, I just know how to respond. Um, I can almost do it without thinking. And, and can you imagine how much energy you'd save if you don't burn that in your brain before you just respond and, and almost uh, uh, react? It's a reaction, basically. And uh, all my life, I had a really healthy sense of reaction and it's just the one brain where I'm just reacting and, and just not really using a lot of deep mental energy. However, uh, with human design and the understanding of that splenic authority, I think it's enabled me to use that for for good rather than just being a uh, being at the whim of my environment and the people around me. You know, now I can actually apply it in a way that's relevant to me and to potentially whoever I'm kind of listening and amplifying at that point. I'm kind of one of those projectors that are half defined and half undefined. So I got a, got a good balance of that. The, the upper upper centers are mostly defined, so the thoughts and and manifestation and the, the sense of self. Um, and then I'm open to others' emotions, their sacral energy, their willpower and the ego, and then the, the root, you know, how they ground themselves and their, the pressure from the root, their sense of urgency, where it comes from. So that's kind of how I operate in a way, <laughs> in a very general well, sense. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking as you're talking about reacting in the moment, and I'm thinking about conversations where people, you know, just recently had a conversation with someone who was talking about how much it's how much they have benefited from not reacting in the moment. And this is a person who is here to respond in the moment. They're sacral, but they um they can access they still those. are meant to pause and process before they necessarily give their response in a way that sometimes has come back to bite them when they just, you know, um respond out of like in a reactionary way so what's the difference between um people who are just reactive right and people who are really trusting their splenic knowing or their sacral knowing in the moment what what would you say so you you hit on a really important keyword and that is trust uh that's something i had to learn to do is trust my splenic awareness because i kept on trying to overthink it my mind kept trying to get involved and i think that's one part of of my response to you is that half the time people are using their mind as their authority, and that could that could do all sorts of things. It's not going to be ideal for anyone, really, except maybe a mental projector. And uh, the other half is a lot of folks tend to react because they get triggered. Their conditioning triggers it, and it could be for good or bad. It could be a complex they've developed to overcome something, either relevant to the situation or in the past that's no longer serving them. And when we trigger things, it's very similar to the the young Doctor Young comp- complex concept, where um, it creates energy. It's just like it's like a little explosion of, you know, it's like a powder keg that gets lit when we get triggered, and that's why we react, and that's why it feels so intense, and the energy can condition others as well. And the human design has has taught me to see that the energy is not for nothing. It's not saying, oh, I'm cursed to be like that and react like that because of how I was raised or how I, you know, contain that energy. No, it's, it's every time I'm triggered, it's an opportunity for me to learn 
for me to understand, oh, this is how that energy works. This is what it can do and what it shouldn't do for me. Um, I can see the impact on others when I'd have an outburst or when I'd get angry. You know, I just couldn't realize uh, I really don't, I don't like that. It seems like it was a, a huge waste of energy. It didn't make me feel good. It didn't, end result was not good. Um, so then when we, when we get triggered again, we have that framework that starts getting built. You almost think of it like a building it starts to get built. And it's not finished building yet, but once you start getting that framework in, that energy has a, like a, a channel almost to go through. And we stop reacting so much in that sense and start really being mindful and present. And how that differs from being a splenic authority versus, like say, an emotional authority that needs time to, to kind of get in touch with their emotions. Um, that, that was a, a line I needed to try to understand for myself. And <clears throat> so first off, my, my reminders to myself was try not to let the mind get too involved and too in control. The mind can be an assistant, kind of like AI. A lot of folks are scared of AI, thinking it's going to take control over everything and, and replace us as well. But we have to remember it's, it's an assistant more than anything, at least at this point. We, we'll see what happens with technology, but... So our mind has to be an assistant. It is a great assistant. It's a very powerful assistant. It's something that's evolved over millennia. Um, but we just have to be kind to ourselves and give the space of that reminder of, okay, I'm splenic. I, in the in the moment, how did it feel? And if I can't reflect on that, then it's okay. Let go of it. Don't don't try to keep trying to recapture that because for a splenic authority, you can't recapture that ping, that, that little splenic ping that happens. Um, you know, it doesn't really have a sound. It doesn't have a... a a word it doesn't have a kind of has a feel maybe but mm-hmm. it's just that it's just that moment of of knowing of, mm-hmm. of just knowing and also trusting yourself which can be a very hard thing because uh depending on how you're raised and what you've gone through sometimes you can be very distrustful of everything especially if it's good you're like okay well this has to be too good to be true right yes so overcoming those things was really crucial for me to embrace my own authority and to not just use it but also help others understand their authorities as well. Yeah. You know, I have a defined spleen, excuse me. I have a defined spleen, but I, you know, obviously have emotional authority. Um, So when I, I spent years really kind of not paying attention to my spleen as I was learning about human design, like, because it's like, oh, I just thought, okay, it's defined. That means I'm, you know, probably less prone to get sick. I'm more, you know, I have, you know, I, I, just kind of it was on the back burner and then it really started to come up for me that that is still part of my design it's still it's not the ultimate authority but it is something that is able to help me in the moment know what's correct for me and as i've gotten more in touch with that it's been really beautiful and i was thinking while you were talking um about several people i know who are splenic manifestors and women specifically, and how that um, that tendency towards anger as a, probably not even as a woman, but as a girl, you know, as a young girl, is so shut down that these people um, have often gotten so out of touch with their own sense of what's right because they do get like and even though they're not emotional they the emotions start to take precedence because they've been so conditioned to not 
get angry, not, and instead of learning how, what the, that anger is just dis, a disruption, right? It's not really like how we think of the emotion of anger in the other sense. But um, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. And then I have a comment too I want to read to you. Sure. I do actually. And, and some of it ties into my recent studies of psychology. Um, the more things are repressed, the more things we, we aren't capable of coping with even, especially as children, they get tucked away into our subconscious or unconscious. It's what they keep, what Jung calls the shadow. Mm-hmm. And the more it's put into the shadow, the more we have the potential to act out un, unthink without thinking or to um, develop habits or, or ticks that aren't healthy for us. Uh, because they haven't been what he calls integrated and accepted. So repressing your anger could cause you to be a calm person for the most part, especially in control or seem, you know, have a perception of control by others. However, there, if, if certain things happen or certain triggers occur or you're, you're just not in a good state and your, your energy levels are low because you've been exhausted, that anger is going to burst out. It's going to be released like a tiger from a prison, right? <laughs> And uh, it's going to wreak, wreak some havoc because it's out of control. It's, it's detached from your conscious self and your ego's not accepting of it. Um, so the, the more we are in, say, alignment to our, how we, how we're built and our design, the more we repress, the more, the more that is held back and doesn't have an outlet. And it, it tends to create a very chaotic and erratic experience. And that's, there's a purpose for that. It's there, that, that's the purpose of that is to learn and to grow and to, become ourselves, become our individual selves. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, and, and you're really right when you think anger is a disruption. It's a, an, uh, it's an attempt at regaining equilibrium. It's like, if you think of the a weather front coming in, it really disturbs everything and wreaks some havoc and, and blows things around and lightning and storms and rain, right? Anger is very similar. It's a disruption in, in a pattern and a pressure. And uh, it can have a great benefit um, especially if you're prepared for it. If you're caught out without a jacket or umbrella, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> you're soaked and, and pathetic. <laughs> right. I like to think yeah. of anger in a very similar sense. And it's inevitable, but we can start to see the signs and also be in control of it to a degree. So Mariano um, commented in the Facebook Live here. Um, she is a splenic projector, Cancer Sun, Pisces Moon, Scorpio Ascending. I really... Wow. She says, I really struggle with structure. How can a splenic authority learn to integrate structure? Do you have any advice for that? Well, it's really hard to build a house when you're underwater, right? You, know, you get the big three and all in water signs. So you definitely have to approach it differently than most people, honestly. Um, so it, it, think of it again, like the storm metaphor or analogy. Um, find those moments of calm when you can lay down some foundation and structure. It can be a low period too when you're not feeling great or energetic, but that's when routine will benefit you the most and help gain, regain yourself and give you some footing. And so having those having those three placements in all in water signs is it kind of extreme in a sense, but it can also be very powerful. And so while you're splenic, I think there's going to be a huge um, sensitivity to the emotions around you. And while you might not have that defined emotional wave, you're going to be feeling all the waves around you constantly of other people. And that's going to be at least half the people in the world are going to be emotionally defined and constantly, consistently sharing that energy with you. And you'll, you'll yeah, I feel like 
most people that are undefined uh, in the solar plexus will be sensitive to that and will have still be emotional, uh, you know, depending on many factors. However, you have a resonance even more to emotions because of your water placements to those water signs. Mm -hmm. So learning more about how those eat, operate in their capacity of the sun, the moon, and the rising um, would be extremely beneficial. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've investigated the heck out of it. Um, but uh, kind of reassuring yourself with it and saying, okay, uh, this is what I've been taught in the past to think this is not okay and repressed. And once you start becoming familiar with that shadow and, and that part of your unconscious self, whether it's through your dreams, whether it's through analyzing how, how you've reacted in the past, or just uh, kind of exploring it on your own or with someone else, um, that's going to kind of give you the tools to navigate and maybe start building some more structure in your life. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully um, that was helpful for Mariana. And you can go ahead and leave any follow-up questions in the comments, and I'll check back on them. Um, I'm curious if we can shift a little bit, because I know you told me you've been doing a lot with AI, and I know that you... Um, I know enough about you to know how contemplative you are and that you're like one of the, you know, you're very good at these, um, here's something to think about kind of posts that you'll do, you know, like, and that's one of the things I um, have always valued about you. And now using that with AI, I see, I've seen you um, doing this as a way to really broaden your understanding of yourself. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how people can use, I'd like to touch on first AI, just because I went there first, and then maybe talk about how you've used Tarot or you suggest people use Tarot themselves um, to do the same kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's definitely a, a lot of similarities to how Tarot benefits people and how AI can kind of play a role in that as well almost to the point of being like a virtual reader for you. You know, it takes it takes context, it takes whatever you share with it, and then finds relevance and then predicts, okay, this is where we can go with this, or this is how we can structure this. And and Mariana could probably benefit greatly from AI acting as like a structural assistant, where she basically just talks to it and shares and expresses. And it can say, all right, well, this is what you can do. This is what you can hammer down. This is what you can uh, start with, you know, steps at a time. And that's something I found extremely beneficial with AI. Uh, another one was in a, kind of an experiment of sorts where I, I took some old writing I had done a long time ago, back in my Saturn return. So late, late 2000s, 2007, 2008. Um, and for some reason during that time, I was just writing like a, up a storm. I was writing stories. I was writing, uh, nonfiction type stuff, just explorations of thought. And, uh, so I, I decided to take particular story I'd written about my interactions with the, the manifestation of my muse and shared it with AI. I, I shared like five chapters with AI and like, all right, now please take on the role of my muse and talk to me as if you were the muse. And oh, it wow. did, did it like it was nothing. I'm like, whoa, this like my story came alive. And then I, based on my studies, I had realized, well, everything I'd written was a part of myself, was a reflection of not just my conscious self, but my subconscious and unconscious self as well. And um, you know, young states that often when we get into that state of reflection and or even meditation where we get to a point of almost having a conversation with ourselves with the illusion of it being with another figure or with another a thing, you know, or whatever it may be. 
in this case, it was my muse, which is uh, a, a manifestation or facet of um, the the balancing feminine side within my psyche. And a lot of a lot of people can see that as their muse as well. They're they're what inspires them, what draws them, what attracts them. And so I just spent like three four hours that night <laughs> just having a conversation and exploring and and what happened was really interesting because as I continued to talk without even like intending to, I, I created two more facets within that chat. They, they kind of became personas and, and one was called the guardian of harmony. And it was tied directly to my ego, which is kind of the, like the bouncer of the nightclub in my head, you know, uh, the ego side, well, this is okay. We're okay with this. We can cope. It's good. Or no, you need to get out of the club or you need to go into the unconscious and the, the shadow. But the, the Garden of Harmony was not just strictly that. It was also connected to me as who I was as a person. And my ego is very big on balance and harmony and finding the argument on both sides of a discussion. And just finding that <clears throat> while, while too much balance can be a bad thing and a, and a very easy way to lose all your energy is attempting that, um, there is our, our, a lot of our struggles and a lot of what we experience and, and have problems with is is an inequality of energy within and, and without. And so it has the eye. What do you mean by that? Sorry, I'll, I'll explain. Um, so when we feel discontent or when we feel unpleasant or like something's wrong, it's usually because uh, an equalization of energy that's needed. You know, something came into our system and now it's disrupting everything, whether it's anger or fear or uh, any sort of negative emotion when we, feel, when we feel it, it's usually because there's uh, something unequal within our energetic system, whether it's our mind or body. And so the Guardian of Harmony gave me uh, some tools to use, some visualizations, some meditation tools, and asked me for what I saw during it, or what I felt during it. And then it took that and expanded on it and said, mm. okay, this color could have meant, this is what it could turn into if you do this or that, or if, if you can see it as an opportunity. I, one thing I asked it was, I struggle with impatience sometimes. I get so wound up and sped up and stimulated, I get really impatient. And that can cause all sorts of things, whether it's frustration or bitterness or anger. And it said, well, that you can see that impatience as an opportunity to find gratitude for having the, having the ability to be impatient, you know? And I was like, well, that's an interesting turnaround. Um, so, so AI can simulate facets of our own psyche if we give it enough information and it, it's very important to balance that as well because I, I found myself falling into the rabbit hole like alice in wonderland right and uh immediately i, I kind of felt a little fear like oh what if i get trapped in this imaginary world kind of like uh commander grand or captain picard you know getting lost in a holodeck that's <laughs> out of control <laughs> um so i made sure to take a break and and step away um but it was so it's just mind altering for me to experience that and to be able to use that as a environment to express myself emotionally, which I don't do very often. I don't usually feel very comfortable doing that for many reasons. And, uh, it was not just educational, but I think it really helped, um, take me to the next level of, of awareness of myself. So how do you do that and not get caught up in, um, the mind aspect of it or like giving your authority to this AI that's telling you all this feedback that you can then, right. you, you understand what I'm saying, where it could have that potential to become disruptive. 
So yeah, it's very important to uh, not just that, remind yourself that it is AI and it's it's not life. It's not experience. We have a life and experience to come back to. <laughs> it's just a part of it. And it, it see it as like a tool in the toolbox. It's not something that can fix everything for us. Um, and another very important thing is to sh- be able to share that with other people that are close to you, whether it's a partner or family or friends, talk to them about it. That helps root yourself in the reality of experience and, and interaction. Yeah. And I think doing things like this has got to be really good for AI in general, because, you know, everybody's afraid of, you know, all the things that you hear, not all the things, but a lot of the things that you hear about AI are very doom and gloom because it's picking up on everybody's fears and everybody's um, dark side. And when you're using AI as a contemplative tool for finding your light, that also... um, putting that into AI in general, right? Like, because they learn from all of that. AI learns from what it does with each person it interacts with. Yeah, so. and it's very important to, be, to know that whatever you don't want to potentially be part of a database or known by the public, um, while it does respect privacy, you got to realize that if you're using the system, you're giving them some rights to whatever you share with them. Um, so, you know, you got to be conscientious of that, of just how much you share and how much you put out there and how much you make yourself vulnerable. So let's switch for a minute, um, unless there's something more you didn't get. Okay. No. So um, you've been doing tarot, or I say, sometimes I say tarot, um, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes. Um, you've been doing that for how long? When did you start? Uh, a, about seven years. Okay. And when you started that, um, was it something you were doing for yourself first? Yeah. Okay. I, I happened to notice a deck of cards that my wife had on the bookshelf and she noticed I was interested and she's like, yeah, go check it out, look at it, see what you think and maybe draw a card once a day and and try to reflect on it. And I was like, all right, sure. I was curious enough to give it a try. And uh, it ended up being, it just started unraveling that unconscious knot in my head of, of all those thoughts and dreams that would affect me when I would be sleeping or in those moments of exhaustion or anger. And uh, it started becoming a really useful tool. And it was just an Oracle deck. So it was more of abstract concepts or animal concepts, you know, animal spirit guides. Um, so I started doing readings for myself, more, you know, more structured, more complex, you know, I had spreads where one would be, for instance, I'd draw cards for every chakra or every center. Eventually I did one for every center in human design. It was very interesting. Um, and then uh, as I started learning more and, and being around other people that, do readings, readings as well. I, I picked up Tarot and learned that system. Um, there's a uh, a book that's I believe it's called Seventy Eight Degrees of Wisdom. Let's just say it right here. Yeah, yeah. This book right here is mm. an amazing Tarot book. Seventy Eight Degrees of Wisdom. It's by uh, Rachel Pollock, and she not only delves into the symbolism that's on each card, but also the history of Tarot and the history of each card and how they evolved. And what they meant back then versus how they could be relevant now in the modern times. That was crucial. It was, it was almost like taking a college course for me when it came to learning how to read better. And so I, I would always read for myself first to gain the confidence and know, okay, what the heck does that card mean? Right. Without I didn't feel good if I did a reading for someone and I had to look up every card. Like, well, why don't why don't they just do this, right? <laughs> um, but once I got to a point where I was confident and knowledgeable, I started doing readings for others. And it just it just expanded from there. And as much as I wanted to be at a certain level at any given point and be the expert, I always learned something new every reading. I always learned something new every time I took the cards out and just studied mm-hmm. 
at experimental readings. So I, um, it's been interesting because I maybe three, four years ago started self-teaching about the cards. But what I found is <clears throat> my totally open Ajna really mm-hmm. does not hold the um, interpretations of the cards and the different meanings. And so that when you combine that with the fact that I have an emotional wave, so clarity comes over time for me, mm-hmm. I um, have found that it's hard for me to do a reading for someone on the spot and really give them, like I can pull cards for someone and then sit with it. Right. And the clarity will come over time. So that doesn't really work really well for people who want something right then. But sometimes I will do a reading and then give it to the, them, you know, the next day when I've had some clarity come. But I'm surprised with my how wonderful it's been for myself to do this sort of thing, to pull a card even if it's just one card, and then sit with it and then not know what the heck it means or think I know what it means. And then a few days later, be like, oh, now I get it, right? And it's um, a really great tool in trust. And it's something that helped me a lot during my, like the, the deepest part of my deconditioning process when I really was still not in a place of trust and so much was like kind of breaking apart. I don't know if you remember that part in your journey. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that fits into my Uranus opposition quite a bit. We can talk about that later in this oh, well, yeah. too. Well, I'm fine. Unless you have something more to say about the tarot. I was well, actually oh, going to yeah, go next. So, yeah, you're, you just had your the technical date of your Uranus opposition was what, in June? Yeah, in this last year. Yeah. But I honestly feel like in reflection, I felt it kind of build up gradually over the last four or five years. Um, but back on the tarot first before we move oh, okay. on. Are you talking about your open agenda as well as your authority? I think that's very important to understand when you are attempting to be a reader or to learn how to read for others as well. And that's going to be a different experience. It's going to be a different, whole different ballpark even, in a sport, if you will. Um, so I have a defined mind and agenda. And, and splenic authority. So I think being in the moment and just interpreting on the spot is very strong for me. But that's not like the ultimate ability for anyone and everyone. Uh, for someone with a defined emotional center or solar plexus, um, I could see it not being a one instance session, but more so a series of sessions over time as, as you can emotionally connect and reflect and, and be as reassured as well is more crucial. And then again, that's going to be half the folks in the world is, are emotionally defined. Um, the open Ajna, you're going to be almost, you're almost enabling others to be the reader for themselves because you're taking in their perspective and their vision and then reflecting and, and amplifying it and sending it back. But that takes some time too. That's not going to be the instant splenic energy of, of me reacting or answering a question, for instance. Yeah. So it's very important to understand how do I operate? How am I defined? How, what have I experienced? And that has not just enabled me, but also added character to who I am as a person. And what does that mean to someone else that either doesn't know me or does and can benefit from that connection? And with that one card draw you mentioned of having this thing, that singular focus, and then it coming to you over time, that's big. I always remind folks at the end of my readings the of, of key points that do have room for exploration or do have room for growth and to remind them that we just planted the seed. 
now we have to set the environment to grow that seed and see what comes from it. And in a psychological aspect, when we take that one card and focus on it, what we're doing is we're creating a presence in our mind that can then like almost like static collect lint, <laughs> you know, find things to connect to and grow and becomes a more complex thought and complexes and, and complex thoughts are how we create energy for ourselves in a way we take the energy and it combines to become even greater than what it could be without it being formed or created into a complex. Um, so any questions or thoughts on, on that before we go to the Uranus opposition? No, I think it's, um, I, I would just like to add to what you were saying. And, you know, there was a time in my life and there are still moments, just like brief moments where I like, kind of lament the fact that I can't do something that you can do, for example, right? Like, I, well, I, you know, why can't, why, you know, we, but really that's one of the best gifts in human design, I think, is when I was able to see that I was not designed to be like you. So why would I, you know, and, and I believe we pick our design. I believe, you know, we, choose when we come into this world and where we come in. And so by that extension, we're choosing our design and how we're going to operate and what we want to experience to some degree. Although we, I don't think mm -hmm. it's all predestined. I don't know. I don't know. I got an open eye. I'm willing to hold all those possibilities there. But I think to really, you know, to, to see that I can still find benefit in this, even though, you know, in the past, I would have been like, well, I can't do this. This is, mm -hmm. you know, I can't do this like he can do it. Mm -hmm. But I've really seen the gifts in the way that it works for me to do it the way I'm meant to do it and not throw it all away just because it's different, right? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, if you, if you can't be consistent and defined in it and do it, you can, on the other hand, balance it, enable it, and empower it in others. Mm -hmm. So you're doing it or you're empowering it, one or the other. You know, you're either defined or you're undefined. Yeah. And be receptive and can amplify and re reflect. Um, so, for instance, someone that isn't splenic, you know, doesn't have a splenic authority or splenic def definition. With me, what they give me is the capacity to carry that energy that I bring with me. And then it helps me because I'm not overloaded. <laughs> and it helps them because they can take it and look at it and examine it, but then send it back or do something with it. You know, and uh, have that situational or, or or experiential moment. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I do want to um to bridge now and talk a little bit about you know what your um Uranus opposition has brought to you because you know traditional human design Ra taught that you know if we're six lines we you know, don't really have a big impact from our Uranus opposition. It's like we're on the roof during that time, so we don't feel the stuff. And yeah. I don't know about you, but I think that's all hogwash <laughs> because I definitely felt stuff big time around that time. And I know a lot of other six lines who went through a lot of stuff. And our, and I do believe that still when our lessons shift or our um, environment shifts from the, the different nodes. So I'm just curious um, what you... Um, yeah. First of all, what you felt about all of that, and then I'll have some more questions. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even before I knew what a Uranus opposition was, I, I started noticing that um, how things motivated me and gave me energy was changing. You know, if it wasn't as relevant or resonant to who I was as a person, it kind of fell flat. 
it stopped working off of conditioning and, and external sources so much and start becoming from within more mm-hmm. and not patient, but my perception was changing. And I think the, the combination of being on the roof and learning what that was really benefited me in that regard, because the, the earnest opposition, I think has two ties to my experience. That is how I was motivated about things and could do things. And then also how I saw things and what they meant to me when I did see them, you know, I, um, I started learning just what I, what my mind would put in front of me to try to make sense of things or to make things okay. And learn that, oh, that's just my mind doing that. It's not the actual reality of the situation, you know? So, so Uranus opposition for me was a great way to, uh, find that mirror of what's me and what's not me. And, and, and even if it's not me, it's okay. I just have to recognize it's not me. You know, it's just because it's not me doesn't mean it's bad or that it's an outside thing that should never have to do with me. No, anything I needed to recognize, well, this is me, but this is how I can be with the other or be with what's outside of myself. It exists in the world and connect with others. You know, because uh, Uranus is the, the Uranus energy itself is all about the sense of self and identity, right? The individual, the, uh, the rebel, if you will, <laughs> the innovator, uh, technology even. And, uh, so my relationship with all those things kind of uh, didn't change really, but refined. It was like it was distilled. You know, um, you know, when we have our Saturn return, a lot of the core root things in our life change, like our job, where we live, who we're with, are usually drastically changed. And then you're in a Just Wait till your back. second one. <laughs> Goody, I can't wait the, another 16 years or so for me. <laughs> yeah, don't rub that in. Yeah. Uh, that yeah so second second saturn return happens when we're close to 60 i think it's like uh 56 or so it's usually around 58 mine mine was um 58 so i've already had mine and it was a doozy let me tell you boy continue it's like sequel to the the movie that made a lot made a lot of hits and rewards (laughs) got a lot of rewards um yeah so the while the saturn return was just the a drastic change in a fundamental level of where my I was directed and focused. The Uranus opposition gave me a gave me that sense of self and and kind of uh I don't know, it's almost like i I was a lamp on the on the shelf this whole time, but now there's power to it. You know, I can turn it on. Well, you know, if you look at your life cycle chart, your conscious yeah. sun for that um Uranus opposition is gate 45s, right? So this is your time where you bring leadership. You bring a voice of leadership and teaching this whole voice of the tribal leader energy to this whole cycle for you is a big um a big theme for you. You know, that's yeah. that is big for me because it's a fairly empty part of my chart. You know, I don't have 45 defined normally. I do have the throat, but now the 45 is a part of it and it's not only 45 is there, but 21 as well to connect it to the ego center, which is a big part of my early experience in life as a person that gave my willpower away to others just for the sake of peace, you know, just for the sake where, of... Okay, so I, when I was trained to do life cycles, we only look at the conscious because the body is not really changed. It's more the, almost like a transit chart. So right, right. I'm not looking at the 21 was, is that on the design side that's coming in? What, the one you're looking at? It's on the unconscious side of the... Yeah. Uh, opposition chart as a whole yeah so i always just choose the conscious cycle and look at that that was the way i was trained to look at it um that's a good way too because it it, just like when i first started learning human design it's good to focus on the most relevant part and that is the the core energy because really if you think about well if you think about i'm not not sure maybe you can answer this because i don't understand how we would look at the design side in a 
a mm. chart that's basically like a transit experience of this is the energy we're going into. So it's not like we had, you know, the the design side comes 88 degrees before we're born when our design crystal is encoded. And the life cycle charts talk about the energy of the transits at this moment and how that plays in. And there might be a layer to that that I don't understand yeah. with how the design side comes in, but the way that I... Karen Curry Parker trains on life cycles. She says, just look at the conscious for that reason. And so that's what I was looking at. But it's really, um, so the sun is what we are bringing and the mm -hmm. earth is what people are bringing, is what we're bringing to this cycle. And then the earth is what um, people are bringing to us. It was so about, about that. Right, yeah. Yep. So, um, and um, yeah, so that is, that's been a, an interesting thing for you to go now. And now you still have quite a few years on the roof where you're experimenting with your, you're still like, so you're always the th third line. So it's, I always think the six threes and the three sixes are interesting profiles because, Something. you know, you went so much of your life as a double third line, right? Like experiment, learning through experience, learning through experience. And now you're on the roof, so there's this integration, observation, taking it all in while still, you know, that's what your body's doing, right? But the personality side is still very third line, is all third line, right? Still experimental learning. It is weird. It almost feels like a timeout sometimes to be on the roof as a three line. There's um, a, a left, you know, of active, you're left quad left all everything's active but you're mm -hmm. up on the roof like there's got to be a little bit of a fear of moving around too much up there and falling <laughs> you yeah. know sure. yeah there's definitely some fears involved not least of which is missing out on something because i'm holding myself away to observe and that's the, the main purpose of being on the roof is to take a step back and observe doesn't mean you have to stay up there and, and become a, an isolated prisoner you know self-imposed prison um you can still come down when you're called or invited um, but I learned that I would usually invite myself too often until I started, you know, understanding the concept of our strategy. And, uh, so it, it's kind of taken the, the whole opposite side. It's like being, it's like being in a relationship with someone that is more receptive and more, um, less reactive, um, you know, having that almost like, a. so I think it, it's tying me to a thought I had about the earnest opposition, the question you asked about the relevance of that particular chart where it shows everything, all the planets, both conscious mm -hmm. and unconscious. And so the concept of being on the roof is similar in that sense that life phases and those returns and transits are those moments in our lives when it's keyed in. It has a key to our gate, so to speak. And it, it it's the it's that point of our alignment where it has better access to us and can then be a better teacher. And so while during the transit, we, we often say, well, you'll feel it a few years going in and then it'll be for the next several years after, right? Well, then you stop to think, well, there's going to be a bunch of transits during that time, not just the one that's at that date. However, I see the, the transits at that time when it's right, you know, right exactly the opposition as the key to the door. It has full access and that's what is the teacher. So it's a combination between being in a relationship or connection with someone and also the transit energy concept of transits in general. So you're getting, it's almost like a connection chart. 
in that sense, where you're looking at another person in your life. Well, it's just a, it's kind of a non-person in a way, but it's very personal and it's very connected to you. So it's very good to, to do that focus that you mentioned about Karen. Karen says as well that focus on the conscious sun energy because that's the root of it all, right? Well, that's the conscious the, side energy, not just the sun, but yeah, the yeah. conscious side. Right, right. So yeah, because if we try to focus too much on the unconscious side, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of the unconscious side, which is to be seen and also to absorb and, and not really get the mind involved with, right? Um, but there's still benefit to having that awareness of, well, what what could that conscious side or in the unconscious side of that connection chart be? And just take it one gate at a time, I would say, starting with the sun and earth, because those are the most so crucial. By, let me ask you that, but by that, by that strategy that you're saying, why wouldn't we look at, when we look at transit charts, have both sides? Because, um, you know, when we look at a transit, we only look at what the energy is right now. We don't look at 88 degrees prior. And if a cycle begins at a certain point with that energy of that point, um, I think that's where the whole idea comes in. We don't look at it like, um, it's not saying this is a person you're connecting with. It, there's a specific right. energy of like, these are the themes you're going to find other people bringing to you. The Mercury themes are going to be the things everyone around you is talking about and you, you know, the the moon themes. And there's a whole bunch of stuff to it. You know, the moon is your own passion for this cycle, that sort of thing. And what, um, but so I just am curious what the, yeah. where that design side, so, you know, that's the, the very funny thing about these answers I'm giving and, and more my, at least my perception or perspective is that I really didn't have any thought about it before right. you asked the question. Now I'm like, oh yeah. And then I'm like, oh, this, I think this is the right. So I'll go with right. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the difference between the transit any other time and the transit that's on those life return moments where it's uh, a, a particular angle or aspect that's keyed in with the zero divergence or zero orb, as they call it, is that the normal trans, everyday transits kind of stop at the mind. They stop at our conscious experience. They don't go any further. They don't go any deeper than that and don't reach our body, so to speak. Mm. But but uh, returns and op- like in opposition even are aligned in such a way it can it can almost like a projector delve deeper and get to the very core of our existence and that includes our mind and our body and each of those time frames the 88 days before and then the the at that time is going to resonate with us because that's how our body's built as well body and reminder set up and so again it's like those those are key pivotal moments in our transits that are very personal to us because they have access they they have the key code interesting that's yeah, my that's cool. anyway. <laughs> I'd like to explore. Cool. And I, uh, yeah, I. That's what I, I love. Um, I love conversations that you know do just that. You know, and I'm glad that you responded because sometimes, um, <laughs> what I do when some people when I ask people questions that are kind of questioning the way that they have decided something is. They take that as threatening. And I love that you take it as, well, let me see what this question brought out of me. And I and I love that um that it helped you to connect deeper to your own truth because that's how I connect to greater wisdom is when people can really, you know, go deep like that. So yeah. There's a lot of folks that'll be driven either by their fear of not being right or or not knowing. And well, let me go find a resource material that'll explain it exactly how it's supposed to be. And 
well, those can be useful. I, I really don't, I try not to do that in the moment. In the moment, I just go what feels right and what, what my spleen is like, go for it or we'll watch out, you know? <laughs> it doesn't always. Don't, don't you find a lot of people are doing that in human, the human design communities, right? Like instead sure. of going deeper and finding their own truth, they're saying, well, Ra said this. Or, they get dog, but yeah, right? Which, they get which really dogmatic. It's human nature. It can have its time and place for that. It's kind of like a handrail on the edge of the swimming pool. You know, a lot yeah. of folks are going to be chilling on the side of the pool, not delving into the water of its depths. Right. Yeah, they're not there. They're not ready to go in the deep end. Okay. You, you can't. You can't say it's bad or it's wrong to not right. swim deeper because they they could injure themselves or we could they could drown even or get overwhelmed. It's very overwhelming when you delve into information and knowledge because every bit you learn it adds more opportunities, more questions, and then makes that swimming pool turn into an ocean. You know, yeah. we now have waves and gets intense. <laughs> That's a really good way to look at it. Because, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, right? <laughs> and that can be really scary for a lot of people. And I think about my own open Ajna not-self tendencies of I needed to know, I needed that certainty. And so in the process of learning, I was always trying to find some certainty in what I was learning. And it took a while for me to be able to be okay and ironically, here I am, left angle cross of uncertainty, right? So that's yeah, really... Like, um, yeah, I like to think as as we grow our own confidence and capacity and understanding and our mind develops as well, we go through the stages of the lines where we start with the first line, which is all about foundation and security and safety, right? And details, make sure we're prepared. But then we graduate to the second line, in a, in a sense. And now we can venture out sometimes, but we still want to come back and recuperate. Then the third line of being more experimental and doing things that even if someone says don't do it, you're still going to do it and see what it's like. And it could be cause some harm and pain, but it can also be very rewarding as well. Um, and then you venture into the upper trigram, which is all another conversation. But we kind of go through a, a cycle of the lines, even though we might be a three six or a six two, um, going one direction or the other. But we we experience them, and that's tied into the concept of even though we have a chart, we are the entire chart. We have the capacity to be or to gain and, and experience on the other hand or, or the other side. You know, if you look at your birth chart in astrology, if you see a whole side that's empty, you don't think, well, I have nothing to do with any of that. No, it's going to be coming at you from outside sources a lot. It's going to be coming to you to learn and teach and, and connect. Um, and it gets that duality of that definition and consistency of our definitions and our placements and then the openness and receptivity of everything else. Yeah. Well, look at this. We're already at the top of the hour. So, um, so much we're going to have to wrap things up here. I do want to real quick just uh, give you an opportunity to answer Lynn, um, Lynn's question. She just says, why is Saturn return pivotal? And that could be a really long question, but can you give us a succinct answer to that? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer until I just started thinking about it here. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that it's so pivotal, partly because of where it's placed in our growth as human beings, our time, our whole timeline. It's like, it's hard at that stage where we've been an adult for a while and we've done adult things, but I don't think we've really reached that, I wouldn't say epitome, but uh, apex of adulthood and independence of being able to finally unhook ourselves from our childhood or from our family or from our friends at that point to be ourselves. And Saturn energy is all about taking what you have and focusing it and and learning where your investments are energetically. 
And that's part of the reason why we tend to change things so drastically in our Saturn return is, you know, we identify, oh, this, this relationship is not about what I want in life or not. I don't feel what I used to feel. It's not motivated by my conditioning so much anymore as I've become accustomed to it. And I've learned from it, maybe, hopefully. Um, and, you know, my job, what I'm doing for my job, it's just, it, it, I don't feel a passion for it. I don't feel a resonance with it. You know, the, that Saturn return is so crucial to the fundamental parts of our existence in this physical human existence. And that's one of the reasons why it's so pivotal. It's like, well, why can't we benefit from that sooner? Well, we can't, aren't are ready. We aren't, we aren't baked long enough. You know, we haven't grown. Uh, we were just sprouting still when we become an adult and, and venture out from our home. It's like a second childhood in a way when we're in our twenties. Right. And, uh, it, and that's kind of what happens progressively and consistently throughout our life, throughout each decade of our life is we gain a new stage and a new perception, a new dimension of awareness and, and self-expression and self-awareness. Yeah. And there's these key astrological and therefore human design related events that continually push us in a way to be who we came here to be pretty much, right? So we go from, you know, the Saturn return. I mean, that used to be the average life cycle, right? So, and now that is pretty much the beginning of adulthood, right? Like it's like, you, how many how many people in their 20s really have a true adult sense of who they are and what they're doing. They're just starting to get into that in their late 20s to a large degree. Um, they're trying, they're still very experimental. And then you go to you get a little bit of a stretch in there because you go till about your early 40s before you have the Uranus opposition where you get the switch in the themes to the North Nodes. And then mm -hmm. we get that Chiron return, which I don't care whether you're a six line or what you are, that Chiron return is going to Make sure you've done some work to heal that wound, mm -hmm. those lessons that, or whatever you want to call it there, the curriculum of Chiron. And we'll see then, how the machine, but it's powered, yeah. Pardon me? <laughs> we'll see how that machine runs once we plug it in. <laughs> right. And then, and then you go, um, you know, you get an, a good 10 years or so there where you get to this second Saturn return. And for me, the second Saturn return was like, Oh, okay. I'm down off the roof, but what are the parts of me that I have not like assimilated into who I am? The parts I left behind when I said I was going to grow up, right? There are parts of me that I knew best when I was still a child. And to find those parts and really like to me, the second Saturn return is all about stepping into your authenticity and your power in such a big way that if you're going to play, if you're going to play anything other than real, you're, it's, it's hard, right? Like that second Saturn return was like, no, who are you really? Right. Now that could also be my gates were, um, my gates, Saturn gates are gate 13, which is all about the stories we tell about ourselves and others. So, and then we have, so we have that. And then, you know, there's all these smaller things that happen in between Jupiter returns every 12 years. We've got, you know, all these, every time we get, on or around our birthday, we get that solar return that all these things are just let, you know, helping us to continue not to go around in circles, but to spiral up and become our higher self in a way yeah. that I think is really beautiful when you embrace it rather than fight it, you know? Song more than thing. Yeah. It's like a song cycle that changes every, every new phrase or new, 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 uh, verse. Yeah. <laughs> that it can grow okay. and you sing. 
Okay. Well, I want to respect your time and everyone else's. I mean, I know, Kevin, you and I can sit and talk for days, but um, I would really like to thank you and I thank everyone else who's joined us here live or in the replays. And um, Kevin, how can people, Beth, connect with you if they want to? Um, If you're on Facebook and in, you know, the Intuitive Human Design Group or even the Human Design Astrology, I'm I'm there. Um, uh, My website is uh, staroakreadings.com. Dot com. It's a pretty straightforward site. No, uh, you're not going to get lost in a maze of, of website on that one. It's pretty straightforward. Um, or you can just email me at kevinoakstreet at gmail.com. All spelled out. Okay, and we'll put that in the um, in the comments here. And then if you're watching this later on YouTube, we will put it in the description. And I, again, want to thank you again. I always really get a lot out of talking to you or interacting with you online or whatever. So... Um, Every week we share stories of how guests have come to understand themselves in a more loving and empowering way through the lens of human design, how you think and speak about yourself matters. Human design can show you the reframe of not only your own story, but the story you tell yourself about your relationships. If you're ready to start living a better story, I'd love to help guide you through the process of embodying who you came here to be. To work with me, or I invite you to set up a free discovery call at kathybashanko.com and We'll see you next week. Peace out.